So this morning, we are jumping into Romans chapter 13, but I I don't know how you came in here this morning. I don't know kind of what your mindset is. I don't know what your weekend was like. My son Jack is turning 10 tomorrow, and this morning we were out on the couch, and we were just kind of talking about yesterday, Saturday, and, uh, and I told him, I said, Jack, you had a pretty good day yesterday. I said, you know, you scored some baskets in your basketball game. I said, then we had a flag football game. I said, you had an interception. You scored a touchdown. You had an extra point. You went out to dinner with your friends. I was like, man, it's pretty good to be Jack. And he said, Dad, every day is a good day to be Jack. <laughs> So I don't know if you had a Jack kind of weekend, or like Zach was saying, if you've just been in a time where, man, you, you, you need a victory, and, uh, and, they're, and they're few and far between. I don't know how you walked in here this morning, where, where your spirit's at, how your weekend's been, what, what's on your heart, what's on your mind, but I will tell you this, as we walk through Romans... As we we dive in and we've been looking at what Paul has to write to the church in Rome and to us, I'll tell you this. The hope that we need, the victory that we need is found in the Word of God. It's found in the book of Romans. The, The hope that we need to get through another day is found right here, right there. And so as we kind of look into chapter 13, it's hard for me to believe that we are in the 13th chapter of Romans. I mean, this series has just been flying by. Uh, I told First Service, maybe that shows my age. Some of you look up here at me and think, oh, you're still just a kid. Some of you look up here and say, yeah, I can see a little bit of gray in your beard. So regardless what camp you fall in, uh, time seems like it's flying by. And here we are in the 13th chapter of Romans. And uh, one of the things I want to remind you of is that last week we talked about Romans 12, and we kind of made this transition from Paul kind of talking about theology and talking about ethics and talking about just how um, the idea of this to now a very practical, as we transitioned into chapter 12, this is what this looks like for you to live it out each and every day. Well, one of the, some of the times when we look at the Bible, when we look specifically at a letter like this, Romans, one of the things we have to be reminded of is that when it was written in its first form, there were no chapters. And so when we find ourselves in chapter 13, we have to know that what Paul was saying in chapter 12 is really just flowing right into chapter 13. Chapter 13 is a continuation of chapter 12. Chapter 13 is really just an overflow of everything that Paul was saying in chapter 12. And so it's it's important for us as we kind of read the Bible on our own to remember context. And that is this idea of what is surrounding whatever it is that I'm going to be reading. And so some of the practices that you might want to get into is that whatever you're going to be studying, whatever you're going to be looking at, that you make sure that you look at what's before it and what's after it. So you have a better idea, better understanding of what the author is really trying to say. Yet last week, as we were in chapter 12, our our kind of final takeaway was this idea that when we live good lives, we point people to a good God. You see, Paul in chapter 12 began to tell us that we need to live good lives around the people that we live with, that we need to offer our lives, both what we say and what we do, and what we think, right? We need to offer these things. We need to offer these things as sacrifices to God so that the way we live matters. 
How we live matters because the way we live and how we live point people towards Jesus. So in chapter 13, as we jump in there, we have to understand that this behavior idea, this, this, this be good for the sake of the gospel, is what's at the heart of it. So when we jump into Romans chapter 13, verse 1, I want you to just keep that in the back of your mind. Paul's talking about how we live, how we live out this life in public, in front of other people. So he says in chapter 13, he says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except for that which God has established. The authority that exists has been established by God. Paul is talking to a group of Romans that live in Rome, but they come from different backgrounds. And what he's really kind of getting at is this idea of submission. Submission demonstrates a greater truth about the good news that is the gospel. Understanding that this wasn't easy for the people to hear, this idea of submitting. Do you know that some of the Jewish Christians that lived in Rome would have just recently returned to Rome? Yeah, Rome and their emperor kicked the Jews out of Rome for a time period. And so they were exiled and just now recently allowed to come back. And this is the government that Paul is saying, hey, I want you to submit to their authority. I want you to understand that this wouldn't have been easy for people to hear, right? This is how we live out in public this gospel of Jesus. This is how we live it out in public places, this idea of submission. What we should pay attention to is that Paul is addressing our values, that we're addressing this idea of Christianity. And one of the things that Paul tries to bring up in the book of Romans, specifically chapters 12 and beyond, is this idea that we would form our lives, how we live each and every day, to match up with Jesus. That, that we would begin to transform, to use a word that he used in chapter 12, we'd begin to transform our lives to look more and more like the life of Jesus. And then that's how we live out in these public spaces, that our life would reflect and resemble the life of Jesus so that people, when they saw us, would see the values and the ethics and the actions of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying this is easy. Sometimes when we read that, we think, oh, that sounds all well and good. Submission is not easy. It's not comfortable. It doesn't even make sense all the time. I don't agree with that leader. I don't agree with that government. I don't agree, and I'm going to stand up against that. So what's Paul saying here as he is asking for submission? I think he's asking us to follow an example that Jesus set. Jesus was the Jesus that says, turn the other cheek. Jesus is the one that says, hey, if somebody asks you to walk a mile for them, turn around and walk an extra mile for them. Jesus is the one that gave us a command not just to love our neighbors, not just to love our brothers and sisters, but to love our enemies. This is the model that we're being asked to follow. This is the life that we're being asked to transform our life to look like. Romans chapter 13 verse 3 continues on with this idea. He says, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, 
but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. Paul's saying, hey, look, if you don't want to live in fear in the Roman community, he said, just do what is right. Just live out a good life. He says, who's going to come against you if you're willing to just do the right thing? There's just something that's being carried over here uh, from last week. Just some of this idea that we would be living well. That we would be living out the characteristics of Jesus in public. Uh, Now, I don't want you to misunderstand, right? I don't want you to misunderstand and think that just because we behave, just because we're good, just because we do the right thing, that means that everything's going to go okay for us, okay? I don't want you to misunderstand that just because we do all the right things, then all the right things are going to happen for us. Anybody in here ever done the right thing and it didn't work out for you? Anybody in here ever, ever just took the high road and just like, I did everything right? And just blew back up on you. Peter understood this. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, Peter echoes what Paul said here in Romans. Peter says, who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But then he says this, he says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, he says, do not be frightened. Peter says, even if, look, I want you to live good lives. He says, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do what is good? He says, but even if, even if you should suffer, he says, it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. It reminds me of the story in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel. Three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who say, we're not going to bow down and worship you, king. We're not going to do that. He says, uh, as he makes this bold statement, he says, we believe that our God is strong enough to deliver us from this threat. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down and worship you. Even if. This idea that we're going to live these good lives out in public, we're going to live as Jesus lived in front of people. Believing that good's going to come from that. But even if it doesn't, we're still going to live this way. What a powerful verse we find in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. As we kind of continue to uh, talk about this. He says this. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. In chapter 13, towards the end of that first section, the verses leading up to verse 8, Paul starts talking about some real technical things about pay taxes, give to Rome what is Rome's. He's kind of echoing Jesus said that first. And, uh, and this wouldn't have been easy to hear, right? They're, they're being oppressed. They've been kicked out. They're brought back. They're not, they're not sure. Uh, Roman's not the worst government that's ever existed, but it's surely not the best. And so there's these ideas and sentiments that uh, should we really be doing this? And Paul's asking them to submit. 
And then as he kind of transitions into a new section, he's like, look, I don't want you to be at debt to anybody. He said, Let only, he said, the only debt I want you to have is this debt of continuing to love one another. He says, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Paul makes this bold claim. And he'll continue it on. We'll look at it in a second. That, that the entire Old Testament law, that basically the entire message of God can be summed up in this one idea. To love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to see something here. Paul knows that the church in Rome is divided. He knows that they don't see eye to eye. See, we've been talking about this for the last 13 chapters. And if you're just joining us with us today, this church that Paul's writing to in Rome, they have an issue. They, they, are, they are divided they're at odds with one another. They don't see eye to eye on how, what it looks like to live out this Christian life on a daily basis. You've got Jewish Christians who come from the Old Testament background who are still clinging desperately to the Old Testament law. And you've got Gentile Christians that are bringing back some of their pagan ideas. And so they're, they're trying to figure out what this new thing looks like. And, and so... They don't see eye to eye and they struggle to to get along. But what Paul is really asking them to do, what Paul really wants for them, it's, it's like he wants to sit them down and say, look, in chapter 12, I started talking to you about this idea of loving one another, loving your brothers and sisters. He says, but that's just the beginning. See, I've got this greater vision for you. I've got this greater thing that I want you to be able to accomplish, but we've got to get past this first. You ever, you ever feel like that with your kids? It's like you've got something amazing in store for them, but you just can't get them past that next thing. You can't get them, you can't get them in the car. You can't get them loaded up. You can't get them packed, whatever it is. Like you've got this amazing adventure in store for them. You've just got to get beyond this hard part. And Paul's like, I've got this grand vision for what I want this church to look like. I've got this grand vision for what I want you to accomplish. But right now, you can't even like each other, let alone love each other. And what I want you to do is I want you to love other people. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to love those who are outside of you. But right now, you're stuck in this place. So in chapter 12, Paul begins to talk to them about what it looks like to love each other because Paul desperately wants this church to be united. And he wants them to be united because not only does he want them to love each other, he wants them to love Rome. He wants them to love their enemies. He wants them to love their neighbors. And this is at the heart of what Paul's message is. He uses chapter 12 to encourage them to love one another. And what he's saying here is like, look, you're struggling to do that. But I want you to catch a glimpse of what I really want to do. I want to reach the world. I want to transform the world. I want to transform Rome and point them towards Jesus. And it's going to be, it's going to be you that does it. But you've got to get along first because what I'm going to ask you to do is going to be tough. He's going to ask them to transform their life to look more and more like the life of Jesus because the life of Jesus is a love one another type of life. Paul is asking them to love one another. In Luke chapter 10, we come up on a story where Jesus is interacted with a man. And this man is asking Jesus questions like people often did. And the question at hand was, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? 
This isn't the first time Jesus has asked this question, and it wasn't the last time that Jesus was asked this question. This was the heart of what they wanted to know. Jesus, what do you say it is that's going to get me to heaven? And so Jesus, he's this great teacher, and so when he's asked this question, he just turns the question right back around on the guy. He says, well, what, what do you read in Scripture? And the man says, well, what I read is that you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he goes on, he says, you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, very well, very good, this is, that's right. Do this and you will live. And it says in the scripture, it says a man wanted to justify himself. He wanted to, he wanted to really know what Jesus was talking about here. And so he asks this follow-up question. It's a great question. He says, okay, Jesus. He says, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And in Luke chapter 10, Jesus answering the question with a straight answer. Jesus begins to tell this, this famous parable. He begins to tell this story of the Good Samaritan. About how a man was traveling and how he was stopped and he was robbed and he was beaten and he was left laying on the road. And about how these two religious people walked by and just kind of passed by and ignored him. But a Samaritan, a man who would have been his enemy, a man who would have been an outsider, saw him and had compassion on him and cleaned him up and put him on his donkey and took him to a place where he could get made right. And so Jesus just turns to the man who's asking all these questions, and he just says, tell me, who was a neighbor to the man? And this guy is just, you know, he's trapped because he doesn't like Samaritans. He doesn't like anything that they stand for. And so he just says, he says, the man who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, you're correct. Go and do likewise. So when we, when we see the word neighbor in the New Testament, it's kind of transformed. We see it as, it's presented as outsiders. And so in Romans chapter 13, when Paul is going to really challenge us to love our neighbors, it's from the lens of these outsiders. Look with me to Romans chapter 13, verses 9 and 10. It says, Commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet. And whatever other commands there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Paul says, look, all those commands that you grew up knowing, he says they're fulfilled in this one concept, this one idea. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says love does no harm against a neighbor. Let me me ask you, maybe you need to be asking yourself, who's my neighbor? Our big idea today is that I am love. For weeks, we've been in this series on Romans, and we've been using these I am not phrases, like I'm not proud, I'm not forsaken. We've been using these I am not phrases. But as we dove into chapter 13, and we really looked at the heart of what Paul was trying to say, there was not an I am not phrase to be found, only an I am phrase. I am love. What's that mean? 
It means that I live out love. That I embody love. Not for myself and not on my own, but that I embody and I'm transformed to live out the love that Jesus showed to me to other people. That somehow I can represent Jesus' love out in public to my neighbors. And maybe you're asking yourself, who is my neighbor? Maybe it's your real neighbor. I don't know. Maybe you got one of those neighbors, right, that uh, we, we live on a street where um, on one side of me, we got, we've got some people who own like quad runners and, and stuff like that. And, uh, and so they love to ride their quad runners at like, uh, I don't know, 10 o'clock at night up and down the road with like no exhaust on them. And so sometimes there's places where you're like... I want to strangle you, right? And uh, so I don't know what your relationship with your real neighbors are. You know what I mean? We're, we're just like, maybe you don't get along. Maybe, maybe you're best friends. I don't know. Could be a coworker that you're just really being called to love, right? Could be a family member. Could be a cousin or an aunt or an uncle. Who's your neighbor? Who's the person that God's placed in your life that you're really being called to love? Within the context of this, who's Paul talking about? Paul's talking about Rome. Specifically, he's talking about the Roman government. And there was nobody in Paul's audience that was in love with the Roman government. And Paul is challenging these people to show compassion, to show love, to show restraint, to be submissive. And so maybe we need to be asking ourselves this question, right? Who is it that I'm being called to love? Who, who is my neighbor? And for what purpose? Why live out these good lives? Why, why behave? Why, why do these good things? What's the purpose of all of this? Love points people to Jesus. That's the point. It's not so that I'm lifted up. It's not so that people think that I'm a great guy. It's because love points people to Jesus. Most of us are familiar with what John 3.16 says. It's a passage that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Right? I want to point you to a passage that's in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. Take a look on the screen. This is what it says. It says, this is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. The only reason we even know what love is or what it looks like is because what Jesus has done for us. And so what Paul is asking us to do is he's asking us to live like Jesus. That we would be transformed, right? To take a look at what he said in verse in chapter 12, that we would transform both our minds and our lives, what we do, to look more and more like Jesus. That we might love people the way Jesus loved people. And in doing so, we would point people back to God. A truly believed gospel is a lived out gospel. If you truly believe the good news that Jesus died for your sins and offers you eternal life, then you live that out 
This is the concept that Paul is trying to get across. This is the picture that he's trying to paint, that we would be transforming our life to look more like Jesus' life and that we would be living that out in public so that the public, the world, might see Jesus through us. That's at the heart of what's in here. This is what Paul is trying to do. He's trying to convince us to live more and more like Jesus every day for the purpose of pointing people back to him. If you're going to be helping with um, communion, go ahead and make your way back to the back as we kind of wrap up this morning. I want to remind you where we started. In Romans chapter 12, Paul said these words. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Remember what I said? Chapter 13 is just an extension of chapter 12. And everything that Paul's asking us to do, the submission and, and the paying attention to our government and the loving our neighbor, it all comes out of the place where he's asking us to be transformed, to live more and more like Jesus each and every day. Paul spends the entire book presenting this good news, this gospel, that Jesus is our way to heaven. And he's asking us to point people back to him. Because a truly believed gospel is a lived out gospel. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus. And just for the salvation that he brings to us and for the hope that he brings to us, God. And I just pray that we would be transformed to be more and more like him. That you would be constantly changing us, that we might show people the love of Jesus each and every day. Thank you so much for everything that Jesus does for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.